to not be so focused on what your current job responsibilities are now or what's going on within your own company, that you're not taking the time to lift your head and look up and notice what's going on around you. I think the energy sector, particularly oil and gas, is in the midst of some really important transitions that are going on. And and in some cases, we've always been that way. But it's important to understand where those changes are happening so that as a professional, you can understand where some of the opportunities are for you to have a role or to play value. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capital Girls City Center with my guest, Angie Gilday, Principal of Energy Advisory at KPMG. How are you this afternoon? I'm great, Paige. How are you? Pretty terrific. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Before getting into it, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by just taking a few moments to leave a review on iTunes and you'll get a shout out. Angie, let's talk about how you got started in the industry. Yeah, it was it was by a little bit by luck and serendipity. I think the saying is, at least here in Texas, we have bumper stickers that say, I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as soon as I could. I'm from Louisiana. I have one of those bumper stickers. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so I, I wasn't, a, I didn't initially set out to be in the oil and gas industry, but I got here as fast as I could. So we'll just, we'll just say that. But no, I, my background is Speaking of Texas, it's a very stereotypical what people would think of Texas. So I grew up in the Texas panhandle, which is the very, very top part of Texas. Very cold part of Texas. Very cold and hot, uh, depending (laughs) on the season, but on a cattle ranch. And so my family were five generations I actually had a great, great grandfather that was alive of, of ranchers, farmers and ranchers. And so, and the, the closest town uh, was about a thousand people. So it was a very small town, but very much of a community town. And there was a lot of oil and gas activity that was going on in, in the area and in the region. I never thought it was something for me. The, the saying that you can't be what you don't see, mm-hmm. I think is true. There were no women that were in the jobs right. uh, in that area. And there were, there were certainly no management positions at all. It was just right. a v- very much of a kind of production uh, sort of fields. But my, my family were ranchers and it was a very, in some ways it was a very traditional kind of role. The women didn't really work. Maybe you were a teacher, but you didn't really work outside of the household. So it was a very traditional mother, white housewife kind of, kind of role in one sense. But in the other sense, it was a very empowering and women had a very important sort of role because they were, it was a family business and it was ranching and farming and and that can be very hard work, but everybody in the family contributed. You were a child, you were contributing. If you were the wife, you were contributing. And so I, I grew up watching 
my mother and my grandmothers who didn't necessarily have careers outside of the home, but had very, very important roles within our family business. So that, that was sort of my background. I went to college with the intent on becoming a doctor, a physician. So in, in my world growing up, you were a doctor, you were a lawyer, you had your own business or you were a teacher. Those were, those were kind of the things. So I was set out to, to be a in the medical field as a doctor, and actually got my degree from Texas A&M in biomedical science. And about the last semester, I started getting sort of the feeling that maybe this wasn't really what I wanted to do. But I was so close to graduation that changing sort of career paths or intended majors at, you know, a semester before you graduate didn't really make sense. Right. So I... I went ahead and graduated with with a pre-med degree, went to work here in Houston at MD Anderson Cancer Center. I'm very familiar. Yeah. So one of the top two cancer centers really in the world. Yeah. And my job was as a, a research on clinical trials for patients with lung cancer. So it was very advanced stage lung cancer. And there's certain rules around how long you have to follow these patients, which is basically for the rest of their lives. Right. And so, you know, after working, and my intent was to, to do that for a year and then either figure it out, go to business school or, or head to medical school. But as I'm in MD Anderson, it was an interesting time because the internet was just starting to come into to corporate America. And MD Anderson had started a, a project to take their medical charts electronically and there was a consulting company uh, that was actually in there helping them do that. Okay. And that's where really where I found my interest and passion was around the technology component, around the consulting component, the idea that you could work with multiple clients or multiple companies, you could do different types of projects. That really appealed to me. And so I set out to get into that field and through some persistence and and just you know, sometimes it's timing, began my career at one of the, at the time it was one of the big six consulting firms. And so thinking I would be doing medical uh, healthcare consulting. Right. But Houston being such a big oil and gas city, my first project uh, was in oil and gas. And 22 years later, here I am. I've never left the industry. So that's how I got into it, was the intent around, the interest around technology component of of companies. Great. Oh, so let's talk about some of the challenges you had to face in that 22 years. Yeah, well, there was there was especially since especially since you're female. Yeah, in this industry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, I think it's, you know, I guess hopefully I'm a little more than halfway. <laughs> I've, I've hit the halfway mark with my career, but you know yeah. about about the halfway. You know, looking back into kind of the first half of the career, I think one of the challenges was really. I was very much of a type A kind of person, similar to maybe some of your listeners. Here's here's the path I'm on, and I've got to do X, Y, Z, and then I will be at this position, this position, this position, and and sort of had it planned out. And right. I think one of the big challenges for any of us, kind of coming in to a career, is is realizing it's a marathon and not a sprint, right? And setting your expectations accordingly. I think that's that's one challenge. The other challenge that I have faced as as a professional in the in the industry is from a female perspective. And so just managing that career progression as a woman, as a mother, as a single mom now. So those have been challenging. I have found the challenging aspects of the work component or the 
industry component actually energizing. So I like, you know, you don't hire, always hire consultants when things are great. Oftentimes, folks like myself are brought in on the challenging times. And so those have actually been great opportunities for me personally uh, within some of the industry. Right. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing at KPMG now. Yeah. So with KPMG, I have a, a, a couple of different roles. So my primary role is I currently serve as the global lead partner of one of our top accounts in in the energy sector. So I'm responsible for all the work that KPMG does for that particular client globally, whether it's tax work, whether it's strategy consulting, management consulting, implementation, talent management kind of services, that whole slew of, of capabilities and services we provide. I'm responsible for bringing the right people to the team. I'm responsible for the client relationships and the client satisfaction and the ultimate delivery of the work. That's one role. The second or third, second and third roles I play are more from a uh, vision setting standpoint. So I sit on our energy, global energy uh, leadership team, okay. along with counterparts across the globe, as well as the U.S. industry leadership team for here in, in the U.S. sector. And so in that capacity, it's really trying to understand what are the trends going on in the oil and gas sector? Where are things headed? What are some of the challenges that clients are facing across multiple companies? And how do KPMG services and capabilities line up to those to, to best serve our clients? Excellent. Excellent. And you brought me a lovely report. It's the 2019 KPMG's Women's Leadership Study. You want to share a little bit about that with me, with their audience? Yeah, so KPMG recently released a, a study that's coming out of our Women's Leadership Council, and it's around risk, resilience, and reward. And as part of that study or survey, we interviewed roughly 2,000 uh, women in leadership positions. And we had some really interesting findings. One of the key things is as it related to women and taking risks in their career. So 70% of the women found themselves open to taking small risk, and but only 43% of the women were open to taking bigger risk. Hmm. Now, if you ask them how important risk taking was, the vast majority acknowledged that taking a risk was, was really important in their yeah. career. But the bigger the risk, the less inclined women, at least these respondents, tended to, to want to take those risks. And if you start digging into what were some of those reasons behind it, you, you find some interesting things. Self-confidence yeah, is I being can. being one of the components. So I think this is an is an interesting study. It's a I think something for leadership teams to or individuals themselves to really reflect on as it relates to how we enable women, particularly as they're we're growing them into leader leadership positions, how we enable them to one, take risks, but two, to provide them opportunities so that they can advance their careers. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. What else? Anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah. So the other the other thing that I think is is really interesting that came out in this study is overcoming a lack of confidence mm -hmm. is likely a key component that fosters risk-taking in an individual. and But when you ask the respondents, and the, the majority of them are women in senior 
leadership positions. And, and we did find, incidentally, that as women progress in their careers, they become more confident. Right. But the interesting thing was only 22% of all the respondents of professional women say that their parents instilled in them, above all things, the value of self-confidence. Hmm. Mostly it was working hard, yeah. respect for others, yep. which are obviously very important characteristics. But you know, the, I found it very interesting that only a fourth of women said that their parents really instilled them, instilled in them confidence. That is interesting. Yeah, I try to do the same for my daughter. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. When you ask when you ask these same women the characteristics they intend to teach their children, almost all of them, I think a good seventy five percent say confidence. So awesome. we realize it's really important. Good. I'm on the right on the right track. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think oftentimes, unfortunately, sometimes uh, the the gender, the gender roles, the gender stereotypes have maybe contributed a little bit to. I would say so. Viewpoint, especially with everyone having a voice that today and being and and it being active. Yeah, <laughs> I find it with my children. I've got I have a twelve year old daughter mm-hmm. and a seven year old son, and. It was interesting. My son this year has has been coming home and will say, how was your day? And he'll say, well, we we had field day at MPE and I was the fastest kid. Wow, that's really great. We took a test and I finished first or I was the smartest. And I was was telling a, a friend of mine, I said, you know, with my daughter, I never remember these conversations. I want to support him, but I also, I want to breed some, you know, humbleness in him and but I never had these conversations with my daughter and so I I told my son the next time he said it I said Evan Evan is his name Evan do you know what being humble is and we kind of talked about it and I said so when you say I'm the fastest I'm the smartest I'm the best you just want to make sure you're being humble to your friends and not boastful right not boastful and he he looked at me and he said mom when I say I'm the fastest, I don't mean I'm the fastest. I mean I'm one of the fastest. When I say I'm the smartest, I don't mean I'm the smartest. I just mean I'm one of the smartest. And I thought, I think that is so insightful around sometimes how men and women treat things differently. I don't know a woman that would say she's the best unless she was Absolutely, a hundred percent. The, the best. Victorian yes. or something yes. like that. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely, and it's very fact. I guess the way we we say things are a lot more factual, versus, I don't know, versus what, but 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 it's very matter of fact. Yes. The way yes. he says it, right? It's very. I think as women, sometimes we're rooted in perfection, perfectionism, right? Whereas recovering, son, <laughs> yeah. still recovering. Whereas my son, you know, he just has to be in the top. Ten. Yeah. It doesn't matter. One one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. So if you had one piece of advice based off your experience to give our audience, what would it be? I think the best advice that I was ever given is a couple of things is, but the first one being to not be so focused on what your current job responsibilities are now or what's going on within your own company, that you're not taking the time to lift your head and look up and notice what's going on around you. I think the energy sector, particularly oil and gas, is in the midst of some really important transitions that are going on. 
And, and in some cases, we've always been that way. But it's important to understand where those changes are happening so that as a professional, you can understand where some of the opportunities are for you to have a role or to play value. So I think that's, for me, that's probably one of the most important pieces of advice. The other one is to spend some time and really focus on networking, okay. both in your company and outside of, of the, your company and in the industry. I think too often, um, particularly as women, we tend to focus on the detailed oriented things. I just need to work hard and somebody will notice. I just need to you know, be organized. I've got this XYZ to do that's on my calendar that I have to get done. And time can kind of just pass you by. And if you aren't focused on building your network, understanding sort of macro levels, what's going on both in your company, but then also outside, I think you, you miss opportunities as a professional that, that could be interesting to you in the future. So, so it's almost develop a bigger picture broader picture yeah. yeah and you have to take time to do that because otherwise the day-to-day will you know will, will eat you alive eat you death by a thousand paper cuts yeah. as we say yeah. yeah excellent what would you oh i have one more. oh go ahead yeah i have one more one of my first projects coming into the oil and gas sector i was sent out to the to an oil field in east texas and my job was to ride around with a pumper and understand what that individual did on a daily basis and how they made decisions. Because we were trying to be, the company was trying to move to a model where they were more predictive in their activities around remediating challenges with wells or facilities. And I was paired up with an individual named Joe. And Joe had been in the industry for 25 years. And it was fascinating because we would ride around and he would, we would go out to a well and he would say, ah, this is a problem. Can't you hear it? And I would say, I don't know how to write. <laughs> You've got to walk me through your steps on you yeah. know, what you're going through. The, the sound to me, I, I can't hear it. You've been there 25 years. You can hear it. But one of the things he said to me in his East Texas drawl is he said, Angie, my advice to you is the most important thing is to get as close to that wellhead as possible. And I didn't know what he meant at the time, but what I've come to realize that what he meant, and I think is incredible advice, is understand how your company makes money. Understand how your company becomes profitable and find a way to get close to that revenue generation, profitability, understanding how your company is successful from that standpoint, I think is a critical component to being a solid performer in your company. The people stuff is absolutely important too, don't get me wrong. But understand too many people are in jobs, roles, functions that are so far removed from how their company is actually making money and profit and margins that they don't they don't understand that. So for me, focusing on that and understanding how one my client, you know, makes money and creates value has been something that's been I think a differentiator uh, for me in the marketplace. Excellent. Yeah, very good. What would you say is your most used business tool? Well, I think I would have to say it's absolutely my iPad Pro and the app called GoodNotes. So I decided about a year ago, 
maybe a longer than that, maybe close to two years ago, that I always carried around these notebooks to meetings and I would write the notes down and then you, what happens? You fill up the notebook and it's a bit of a uncomfortable feeling because you have to start a new notebook, but you don't want to leave your notes, but you can't necessarily. Yeah, because you need some reference behind, right? Yeah. And so I decided I was going to go paperless, and I was I was tired of going through notebook by notebook. So I bought the iPad Pro that comes with the Apple Pen, and I installed GoodNotes, and you can create folders based on projects, based on clients, based on whatever you want, and then within those folders, it's like lined paper. And so you can write your notes. You I'm can, really excited about this right now. I'm yeah. looking over at that because I have yeah. a notebook problem. Yeah. <laughs> so you can write notes. You can, if you're in a meeting and there's a, a presentation on the screen, you can take a picture with your iPad and import it into your notebook and then draw on the presentation. <gasps> That's so So neat. you can actually go completely paperless. So I no longer carry a notebook around. I no longer carry slide presentations around. It's all here. And then you can export it. You can send it to your colleagues That's with your so meeting cool. notes. So it's been, it's been a game changer. Now you have to keep it charged. Yes. That's the thing. <laughs> it's running out of battery in a meeting. It's not a great thing. But it's been, it's been wonderful. That's yeah. my favorite business tool. That's awesome. I'm, I'm totally going to be on board with it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to literally check it out right after we yeah. stop recording. Yeah. <laughs> and there's other there's other note-taking apps out there. I think Evernote is one or whatever, but GoodNotes. Well, we, u- we use. use OneNote and I have the option of doing that, but I like your lined paper. Yeah. You can line it. You can do graphs. You can do oh, notes. That's so neat. It's fabulous. I'm so yeah. geeky, geeking out right now. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you say is your most uh, respected competitor? Well, I think one person comes to mind just immediately, and I won't, I won't call out this individual by name, but I will tell you what characteristics that he has that makes me nervous every time I have to go up against him. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing about this guy is, and I used to work for him, and I, I, learned, I just learned so much from him, but he is a master at getting the right people on his team. So he knows how to get the best, brightest, smartest, most diverse group of people. He gets them excited. And being around that team, magic happens. So I think that's the first thing he does, right? The second thing that he does is he is a great people person. He loves he, he loves interacting with people. And so if you're a client, his interest in you is genuine. It's not contrived. And it, people see that. If you work for him, he is interested in developing you as a career, in your career, advice, mentoring. So people like that. So I'm excited right now. I, I mean, it makes you want to work for him now. <laughs> and then the third thing is he's just excellent at client service. And so he responds timely to emails. He follows up. All the things that they tell you 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 need to do that can fall through the cracks, sending up the follow-up email, you know, all the tick and tying that often happens. But the clients feel like they get excellent service. And if there's something happens that they don't, they know he's going to fix it. And so I always get nervous when I find (laughs) out that he's... I'm going up against him because I know he's got the best team. He's got genuine relationships and he's not going to let anything, you know, fall through the cracks. That's cool. That's cool. You'll have to tell me who it is later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, audience. 
What is your most important lesson learned? Work-wise or in general? In general. Mm. It could be both. Yeah. You know, the older I get, the more I'm learning the importance of listening to your inner your inner voice. The and gut? The whispers. Yeah. The whispers. Not reactionary from a gut perspective, but just, gotcha. the, but just the whispers. You know, uh, if I think about in my professional life, the, the times where I failed or times where something hasn't gone well, I knew it. I could sense it before. It wasn't a screaming message that was coming to but me. Maybe but just like a little red flag. You know, or this doesn't just... seem right. This, this might be an issue, right? And more often than not, when things have gone, have gone off, it's been because I didn't pay attention to that voice. My profession, my personal life, same kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, whether it's with friends or you know relationships or with your kids, it's that it's the little uh, whispers that mm, this isn't right. Mm, something's off. And like I said, the older I get, the more I'm I'm becoming aware that you've got to pay attention to this uh, because whispers become shouts that then become brick walls. So yeah. I think that's my message. And this is why I've stopped watching the news because <laughs> of the whispers. Yeah, right. The overwhelming amount of whispers. But we won't go any further into that. Uh, I agree with you. My house, we have a no TV policy during the weekday and not watching. And, and that includes shows, uh, sitcoms, news, everything. Now I get my, my news. I, you know, look at the various online newspapers in the morning, just quickly for headlines. But, but it's been actually, it's been a fantastic change for my family. We interact, we connect, people aren't zoned out with the TV and you don't have all that noise. Yeah. Yeah. My kids are much older, so I don't have that luxury. (laughs) It's too late to implement it now. (laughs) It's basically what I'm getting at. I mean, they're practically adults. So what's your favorite podcast? Well, besides this one. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I I enjoy, there's a podcast, I think it's through NPR. uh, It's called Invisibilia. Oh yeah, I think have I've you heard, heard this? Yeah, I think so. Mm, yeah, it's it's really good. So it's it's looking at sort of the I think they brand themselves as analyzing sometimes the forces and factors that are unseen. I got I got turned on to it actually a, a couple of years ago. I was doing some work for a client around their safety HES, and someone had recommended a podcast from Invisibilia, and it was actually talking about Shell and how Shell changed their safety culture. And yeah. so there was a whole podcast on it, which I found fascinating. And then I just started listening to other episodes, but I listened to it in my car. That's awesome. Yeah. If you actually have a know which episode that is, I'd love to put that in the show notes as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's great. Yeah. It, it talks about how, you know, the oil and gas industry had some challenging safety records and incidences that were happening in the 80s and then how... You know, if you look now, the culture has has really shifted from an industry perspective. Not that there's not incidences that happen, but, you know, companies take it seriously. You open with a safety moment. You, yeah. you know, I tell my friends that are working in high tech in like Silicon Valley, you have no idea that oil and gas companies are some of the most safest companies. Uh, we have to be. Companies. You have to be. Yeah. yeah. Because it takes one mistake and someone can lose their right, life right. or multiple people right. can lose their right. lives or a finger or an arm, you know, and that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah. And if you think about how that culture changed, how, how did how did that change over time? This 
this particular podcast is talks a little bit about that. So I might really have to listen to that on the yeah, way home. I recommend it. <laughs> awesome. And uh, speaking of safety, because I want our listeners to be well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Events on deck. Uh, we've got the OGGN happy hour, Tuesday, February 26th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Canon. Then we have the SPE Innovation Entrepreneurship Symposium, February 27th here in Houston. Then we have the HSE for Unconventional Oil and Gas 2019 on March 19th through the 21st in San Antonio, Texas. And then a couple of announcements. We have two new podcasts that we just launched early February. Uh, the Oil and Gas Onshore podcast with uh, Justin Goyer and Oil and Gas Legal Risk with Sarah Stogner. So check those out. And thank you so much for uh, joining me again today, Angie. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about KPMG, how can they go about doing that? We actually have a KPMG Global Energy Institute. And so if you... Uh, oh, neat. Yeah. And it, it includes, if you sign up, um, you receive emails around you know, thought leadership, interesting articles, publications that KPMG puts out. We also have webcasts uh, that we hold periodically. We have a global energy conference that we hold every uh, early June in Houston. And we usually have, you know, seven, 800 people worldwide that, that attend. I think um, we attended last year. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, the Global Energy Institute as part of KPMG. So you can, you can just Google KPMG Global Energy Institute and boom. And then of course I'm gonna I'll put your LinkedIn in the show notes as well. So people can just reach out to feel free to reach out to me. Awesome. All right. So that concludes this episode. Just remember it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.